The Old Testament reading is from the book of Exodus, chapter 20, verse 13. You shall not murder. The New Testament reading is from the book of Matthew, chapter 5, um, verses 21 through 26. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Lord, help me. That was, if you were here last week, the essence of when we talked about what it, the commandment talking about was, Lord, help me, what it means to honor your father and mother. And it was about, Lord, help me. There's no greater prayer you could pray than that where we were last week. This week, um, timing is unfortunate, but uh, we're looking at, um, uh, we're looking, can you guys hear me? Yeah. This week, especially in light of, unfortunately, we're looking at um, thou shall not, um, shall not murder. Um, in light of what happened in Florida, um, uh, we, are, we are grieving with them for what happened in Florida. Um, some of us may be grieving for other things we've heard about from Sandy Hook to people killed in other countries to wars to other things where people have died at the hands of others um, in an unjust way. Um, and we're mourning for the fact that we know what happened on Wednesday isn't the last time uh, we're going to hear and see things like that in our own country or in countries all around the world. It's good to know where God stands on this. So it's important, it's good that it happened to be preaching on this topic today. The image I want to give us all to consider when it comes to this sermon is an iceberg. To get you guys around the point that thou shall not, you shall not murder. If you're simply thinking just... As long as it doesn't mean they haven't killed someone, then I've got it covered. They want to show you that you're going to find out today that it's only about 10% of what Christ is talking about. The bulk of it is what you can't see and what's underneath. And so we'll see how this sixth commandment is really painting a very similar picture. So please pray with me. Lord God, we thank you for this morning and this day. We thank you for your word, Lord. May it truly reign in our hearts and minds. Holy Spirit, awaken our hearts and minds that we may know you better. We pray for all the children upstairs. And the teachers, that you would bless them with a deeper faith in you. We pray that you would do the same thing with us today. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Uh, Steven Spielberg, when we're talking about him, his Indiana Jones movies, he came out with that fourth movie just a few years ago. And it was 
uh, you know, a little longer in the tooth in a lot of ways. And he went back to his original enemies from the first one, which were Nazis. And someone said, why are you going back to Nazis? And he says, well, everybody's okay if you kill Nazis in movies. Um, and as I was thinking about that, that it, as he was thinking, commenting on, on us as, as humans, really also Western culture, that it's sad, but that's not really the truth, is it? That's not the only people we're okay with seeing die. Today's sermon in particular, today's message, this commandment is particularly good for any of you like me. I remember the first time anyone ever asked me about my faith in Jesus Christ. Was I saved? Was I going to heaven? And my answer was very simple. I have not killed anyone. <laughs> Therefore, I'm going to heaven. My answer was not unique. I know a great many people who have that same thought. So if you find yourself in that category, or know people in that category, today the sermon is for you. But be careful. If you think your justification is that you, not have, you have not killed anyone, I have another image for you. Do any of these images elicit feelings of warm fuzzies or anger? In any way, shape, or form. So the, as we're getting into Exodus passage 20, verse uh, 13, you shall not murder. I remember about a time I was pulled over by a cop. I told you this funny. It was very funny. He came over and said, do you have any justifiable reason for breaking the speed limit? I was like, no, I don't. But when it comes to the commandments, I believe what we see happening is both in our own hearts and in the hearts of those readers that they do look indeed for a justifiable reason to break the commandment, whether or not uh, intentionally or unintentionally, but they are doing that. We are doing that. I think no greater example of that uh, when it comes to how we think about other people is, is the Twitterverse, Facebook. It's a great picture into what people think when they think no one's going to find out who they are. An example just from like a day ago, Lindsey Vaughn, uh, the American uh, uh, Super G skier. Uh, her whole life is about the Olympics. The woman has gone through intense pain to get to this point, and she finished like 10th or something. And people were, were on Twitter were saying, you're just not a good American for placing that way. And you're like, she was crushed. And she's like, I'm, you can't be more American than I am. You can't love it any more than I do. In the same way, when anybody makes any slight mistake, usually the Twitterverse is somewhere between, go jump off a cliff and let me push you off a cliff. That's where the world kind of, so when we talk about we're only happy with seeing um, comical Nazis die movie, unfortunately, that's not the situation of our hearts. So let's get into just a little bit. How does God view this commandment? How does God view this commandment? And very quickly, what I want to point out, one of the, um, uh, one of the passages that's striking, so we're going to look at what God thinks, what, what the Israelites, the, the Jewish people thought, and a little bit of, and obviously how, how Christ brings some light into that. And obviously God and Jesus are, are, are the same person we're talking about, and Jesus is going to bring a little more meat to that as we read in the Matthew passage. But... The definition we're looking at with murder, again, what we see in this text here, the way there's a different word for murder, and there's a different word for kill. And this is talking about murder, which is the unlawful or immoral taking of a life, either through direct action or indirect action, is what this word, with the Hebrew word is more leaning towards in this particular context. And what the passage that, if we want to understand God's heart when it comes to this word, uh, we go to the first murder in the Bible, Cain and Abel. In Genesis 4, God comes upon the scene, and he screams, what have you done? 
the voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. So how does God view the taking of a life? He says, the blood, the innocence of that, the horribleness of it is crying to me from the ground. Why? Because on some level, any type of murder is destroying someone created in the image of God. If death wasn't supposed to be part of our experience, then murder absolutely shouldn't be a part of it. And we're seeing God show us his horror at the face <coughs> of murder. So how did they, the Jewish life, see this commandment? In Jerusalem, um, the, what you had is before the temple was restored in 70 AD, before that you had, you had the law, the written law, and you also had the oral tradition, what was passed on orally. And what was orally passed on was written down. It was parts of the stories and things that were taught in addition to the teachings they had. And when the temple was destroyed in 70 AD, they created something. I commented from the Talmud last week. It's the... Um, <coughs> It's the Mishnah, which is all the oral teachings. They wrote them all down. Because uh, before the temple was destroyed, you went to the temple to learn all these oral teachings. This is where you went to gather. The temple wasn't there anymore. Well, you couldn't go there to hear these stories. So they wrote them all down. And we'll see Jesus references in a second, so it's important to know that. But in this Mishnah, in the oral writings that they, they recorded, um, they talk about uh, this commandment. They talk about what is, what is death and what is murder. They're very concerned what's the difference between the two. Again, if it's in a war, if it's for protection, there's times when obviously you need to defend and killing is okay, but there's times when it's really not. And so when you read the, the, the scholars, the oral teachings, they said, okay, we understand God is very serious about not, not murdering someone. So they erred on the side, the legal system erred on the side of caution. They would rather set many people, guilty people free, than execute one innocent person. One of the uh, just some of the ideas they set up. Again, the Sanhedrin was the ruling body, the judges, and to, to convince them that the capital punishment was necessary, they were very loath, loathsome to enact capital punishments. Again, why? We'll talk about that. Well, what you had to do is first, to prove someone wanted to murder someone, you needed two witnesses who basically said, yeah, this person told me they were going to murder someone. Imagine someone saying, I'm telling someone I want to go murder someone now. They said, no. You needed two witnesses to say you are going to murder, and then on top of that, you needed a court of 23 judges, about half portion of the Sanhedrin, to, to say, yeah, we agree with this. And on more uh, intense cases, you needed the whole, all 71 judges to declare on this. And one writing, they said, if we um, executed more than one person in seven years, we're probably going too far. Why? Because they knew if they took a life in an inappropriate manner, a life that shouldn't be taken, then they would be guilty. They were fearful, fearful of violating the Sixth Commandment. So again, that's how they understood it. But again, where, where does it go? Well, again, they, they confined it to just the act of someone losing their life. And again, the problem, when we talked about this before, there's a great line in... Uh, Star Wars, the first movie. Um, there's only one first movie. 
where Princess Leia is talking uh, to, to Darth Vader and this other general, and he's, they're trying to conquer the, the galaxy. And she says, the tighter you grip the galaxy, the more systems slip through your fingers. In the same way, the tighter, the more you try to convince yourself you can follow and keep these commandments, the further away you get from the heart of God. So if the understanding of the commandment is that I just simply have not killed someone, then you're moving away from the intent of the heart. That's part of it, but you're moving away from the heart of it. So how does the gospel magnify the sixth commandment? How does it magnify the sixth commandment? The passage we're reading now, people call it six, has six antithesis in some commentaries where it's, he's kind of taking to six teachings that, that they used oral tradition matched with the commandments here and, and was, was kind of unteaching them. Saying, okay, you, you got the words right, but you got the heart wrong. And so he's undoing it. So a lot of these have used for the Ten Commandments because some of them are so applicable. And what Jesus is showing us here in his own words is that he's showing how he both fulfills them and applies them in the way that they're supposed to be fulfilled and applied. That they're supposed to point in Christ in this passage. If you read all of it, uh, all of Matthew 5 here, he's claiming these commandments as his own. <laughs> he's claiming authorship of them. And again, the best way to understand sometimes the definition is to look at the opposite of it. The definition of murder was the unlawful, immoral taking of a life through direct action or action. If you were to go online and see what is the opposite of murder, save. One of the titles of Jesus happens to be the Savior. So I think he has a lot to tell us about what it means to undo murder. Let's read the New Testament, the passage in Matthew 5, 21 and 26. Before we get there, there's two passages. You want to see how the New Testament viewed it. It's not just Jesus. There's two passages I have listed here for you that the idea of murder was intense both in the New Testament. So it wasn't that they didn't think it was important. They likened you killing someone to probably means you don't have any faith. These are New Testament writers commenting on what Jesus taught them. So let's now read what Matthew, what Jesus says here in the book of Matthew. You have heard it was said that those of old, again, you have heard it was said those of old, this he's referring to the mission. He's talking about the oral tradition. See, that's why I need to help you guys understand that. You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be like liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. You guys get all that? And then later on, just later on in the same, uh, the same chapter, Jesus talks again about how, what you do when you're insulted, again, likening anger to this. But he's talking, he's likening anger and murder together. He's quoting this commandment and likening anger to it. And look what he says here. Again, starts by saying, you have heard. He's saying, you've heard some teachings on what you do. Do this, don't do this, and you're good. And he goes, but I have something to add that you're missing. And he starts to <coughs> if you're angry at someone. Or excitable. If you're just a grumpy person and you just look for reasons to get angry at someone is what it's talking about. If you insult someone, that's the passage, uh, the group, the, 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 the raka, to say someone, or to call someone a fool. Look what he says. If you are angry, Sorry, whoever, where is the Bible? But I say to you, whoever who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. 
Just so you know, that word there, angry, just angry. Light of a judgment, that judgment, that word is reviewed, reserved for the judgment you receive at the end of life. He's saying, you're angry with someone? Heaven, God, is waiting to judge you for that. He says, whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. He's saying, okay, so you have not killed anyone. That's great. But what has gone on inside of you? What has been going on inside of you? This place is hell. It's the word for Gehenna. It's a place of judgment. So he's basically saying time, three times over, you're angry. If you hate people in your heart, there's only one place where that gets you. That's intense. Imagine them saying, hey, what, how are you going to heaven? What justifies you? And they say, oh, I haven't killed anybody. I'm good to go. And he says, actually, no. You're just as guilty of the fires of hell if you've been hating from the heart. Now remember, what had happened over time was as they saw the blessing they received from God as a way of God saying, I love you, not because you're special, but because I'm special. They inverted that to say that God loves them because they're special. And some of them begin to get very proud. And we do this too, right? And we look down on everyone around us for every reason. Hating them in different ways. And he is saying, if you have that feeling, there's a special place. There's something special coming your way. It's called Judgment. And look at verse 23 on. So, so if you're offering your gift, this is how intense he's talking about. So, so if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember, your brother has something against you. Leave your gift, therefore, at the offer and go. Be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you will put in prison. Truly I say to you, you'll never get out until you obey the last penny. What is he talking about here? Well, in essence, the second part is saying that you need to be just, those of these instances of coming here to point out, these are instances where you have been the offending party. Not them. You're going to the altar. You left your gift and you realize you've offended someone and they're angry at you. There's some anger there. You go deal with it. If someone is bringing you to court because you've wronged them in some way, go to them. Why? Christ is teaching them, again, using the oral tradition to show that just as radical as you were about avoiding murder, you need to be just as radical about pursuing reconciliation. He's likening them together. He's saying this is just similar. Avoiding murder is just as important as seeking out reconciliation. That's much more difficult, isn't it? It's very easy to avoid not hitting people with your car. It's another thing to go seek out the people you've hurt and apologize. To seek out the people who are mad at you and go seek peace. And he's saying you need to be just as committed to that as you are about committed to making sure you don't murder someone. So the question, how does the gospel magnify the commandment? Christ is teaching us it's not about the hands. It's not just about the hands, but it's also about the heart. If you look at this commandment and say, as long as I don't kill someone, I'm okay. You're missing the intent. It's not just about the hands. It's also about the heart. Guys, have you heard of any, watch any good, um, watch any good mafia movies? You've heard this term, Rico Law. 
The RICO law is this. It says the RICO Act focuses specifically on racketeering and allows the leaders of a syndicate to be tried for the crimes which they ordered others to do or assisted them in doing, closing a perceived loophole that allowed a person who instructed someone else to, for example, murder to be exempt from their trial because they didn't actually commit the crime personally. So a RICO law is like, you had anything to do with anything, I, we can pull you in and find you guilty. That way, this guy says, I don't know what happened, right? It doesn't work that way. What does that have to do with this? Basically, Christ is applying the RICO law to this commandment. <laughs> if you have anything to do with anything that spreads <coughs> anger, hate, <coughs> malice in any way, shape, or form, whether word, deed, action, or inaction, you are guilty. The Westminster Confession, the larger catechism, says the same thing. It sees the same thing. The longer one says this. The commandment for his taking anyone else's life, except in pursuit of public justice, lawful war, or necessary defense, it means forbidding, neglecting, or withholding the necessary means for the preservation of life, sinful anger, hatred, envy, desire for revenge, all excessive emotions and distractions, anxieties, intemperate eating, drinking, working, or playing, speaking in a provocative way, oppressing, quarreling with, hitting, or wounding others, and anything else conducive to the destruction of anyone's life. They saw that Christ was taking this commandment far more to a far deeper place than anything we could imagine. We see the same thing played out in the Old Testament with King David. When he had... An affair with Bathsheba and wanted his, her husband gone, and he didn't actually do the killing. What he did was he sent him to the front of the lines and asked everyone who was with him to step back so he could be killed. And he was found just in God's sight as guilty as the men who killed him. We see the same thing at play here. What this commandment is talking about is something far greater than just have you killed somebody. <coughs> Survey was in recent. This is especially important now with all the sexual um, scandals and, and abuse that's happening in, in the world around us. This commandment is saying that all forms of abuse are the same as murder. There's far more likelihood that many people in this congregation have been recipients of or somehow have been a part of abuse to others. Racially, sexually, spousal abuse. All times of abuse. This commandment is saying all forms of abuse, all forms of racism are just as bad as if you laid hands on someone and have destroyed them. It's all forbidden. It's all just as guilty as hell. That's how horrible it is. Unfortunately, as Christians, evangelical Christians, we seem to latch on to just a few things. One great pastor said, as churches, we should be pro-life. We should not be happy with abortion, but that should not be the only thing we are unhappy with. There are thousands of ways a gospel-centered church can be pro-life. We just mentioned a few. I heard a survey done, the church has asked, how often do you even talk about spousal abuse, which is far more likely in a congregation, or sexual abuse, which is far more common and likely than things like abortion. And the survey done that most churches don't talk about those first two things ever. We are far, the gospel is far bigger than one issue. The heart is far greater, more sinful than just one issue. 
And Christ is saying, all life. We need to be pro-life. In many different ways. In many different forms. The mark of a Christian. The mark of a follower, faithful follower of Christ. Is that we should see that in every human there is the image of God. And we value that. Not just one issue. But in all issues. So let me go back to my first question. Have you killed anybody? Have you done it in your heart? One of the most dangerous things about this commandment is that you can't see the word murderer on someone's face. Most abuse happens from people you don't ever expect it. That's why we do background checks here at the church. That's why we have all these rules in place for how people hang out with even each other. In the same way, just like that iceberg, there's so much more inside of us than we see on the outside. So, the answer to how we guard our heart. If Christ said it's not about the hands only, it's also about the heart, then how do we guard the heart? Well, ironically, the antidote, the cure, the way we guard our heart is that our hearts must be put to death and transformed and replaced with the new heart. And that only comes through another death, the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. What needs to die, dying to ourselves means we must, it says, we must get rid of things like anger, rage, malice, and we replace it with God's holiness, His grace, and His mercy. Let me read you a passage from Luke 23 to 24. I won't do that. I did this last week. I won't do that every one of those. But Jesus was on the cross. He's on the cross, innocent, looking at the people putting him to death, happy about putting him to death. Let's talk about anger and hate from the heart. Jesus looks at them. He has two thieves on the side of him, two criminals, sorry, on the side of him. And that's what he says. Two others who were criminals were laid, led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to place this place that is called the skull, there they crucified them, and the criminal on one and on his left. And Jesus said about the people crucifying him, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Last week, I taught you a prayer. Lord, help me. I'm going to teach you another prayer this week. Father, forgive them. So much more of the Sixth Commandment has to do with going on inside of us that others around us can't see. <laughs> the point to get you to where you need to murder someone in the act is sent from a lot of stuff on the inside. But as you see, as Christ is talking about, it's not just murder. It's hating from your heart. So what does this commandment prohibit? The destruction of life. <clears throat> What does this commandment promote? The preservation of life. God is giving us a vision for what this life means. It means we are to be pursuers, to see lives filled with the holiness, grace, and mercy that only comes through relationship with Jesus Christ. It only comes through dying to yourself and taking the cross. So when we go back, my first question. Well, I haven't killed anyone yet. Don't justify yourself or your faith 
by your own actions. Justify your faith in the actions of Jesus Christ. It is only there you will find true redemption. It is only in Him you will find a replacement for your heart that is needed to even begin to understand the Sixth Commandment. He shows us the way. He is the way. So don't tell me who you hate. Tell me who you love. This pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, it is screaming at us. We need you. Lord, without you, on some level, we hate. We murder in our hearts. Lord, this is a commandment that goes beyond just the taking of life. Lord, help us to see our need for you. Help us see this commandment cannot be fulfilled apart from you replacing our hearts. And help us to spread this great news of holiness, grace, and mercy to the world around us. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.